You can't divide us. I'll get there. <laughs> a, a, ha a house divided fall? Yes. What is that? Sure. Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale January 22nd, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, how was California? California was great. Driving around Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. The Hollywood sign. Yeah. Did you put your hands in the hands and do the thing on the thing? Yep. It was hanging 10, Norrin Rad style. Did you go to AKA, Big Sir? A.k.a. Norrin Radical. Yep, went to Big Sur, went to the Joshua Tree, went to you uh, 2 Love you too, my favorite band. No, it was it was it was a chill. It was a chill experience. Thank you so much for for covering my ass. Yeah, and I'm saying that. Yeah, uh, and um, we can uh, say ass. Uh, yeah, we can say ass. Yeah, Woo, look at us, the <laughs> Lang Bad Lang Boys, Lang the Lang Marvel Podcast. It's official. And to you, happy belated birthday. Thank you. First birthday. With child. Yeah. So here's a fun thing. <laughs> I have no problem saying I'm 39 this year. Nice. And uh, this is like a good age yeah. for me. I had a good day at work. It was fun. Everybody was really sweet. Came home, started playing with the baby and talking to her and hanging out with her. And I got super maudlin for a second because I was like, oh, I'm 39. When my daughter is 39, I'm going to be almost 80. Well, I, I yeah. you know, like I don't have as much time with her as I want. But there's like, the what is the alternative? I wouldn't have this baby. It would be a different yeah. situation. Yeah. So I am very blessed with what I have, and I am thankful. That's amazing. And like I said, I don't know. I feel like I'm looking forward to being 39. Yeah. It feels like a sweet spot to yeah. me. Yeah. It feels like you know the world, you know what's going on, but you're still spry. Yeah. You're still feeling good. I know. Yeah. I get up. I, I do my my bike. I did yoga this morning. Wow. What's like, that like? Not even DDP yoga. I still do my DDP yoga every once in a while, but I did regular yoga this morning. Felt good. I was like, wow, this lady is much more flexible than I am, and I'm going to get there. <laughs> uh, but that's part of the key to being 39 and feeling spry. Take care of yourself. Mm, Tucker, well, take care of yourself. I Listeners, take care of yourselves. <laughs> you know, part of taking care of oneself is to read as many Marvel comics as you can every week, just like we do on this show. We're going to tell you about all the new Marvel comics that are out, tell you why you need to check them out, give you some of our favorites, talk about some fun details, maybe have a surprise guest. Ooh. Ooh. I'm declaring it now. 2020 year of the segue. I'm going to jump into a segue, start of the sentence. I'm not going to know where it's going, but I'm promising myself I'm going to land it by the time I get to the end of my sentence when I'm transitioning between books. I feel so, so great. Speaking of spry, who is more spry and athletic and flexible than the Amazing Spider-Man? And this issue is Amazing Spider-Man number 38. It's written by Nick Spencer with art by Ivan Coelho, colors by Brian Reber and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. Have we seen Ivan on ASM? I think he's done a couple of like jump-ins. Little things here uh, and there, yeah. You know, mostly it's Ryan Otley. Yeah. And we've had a couple others. That's a good question. Because Ivan's been crushing over on Venom, mm -hmm. turning in some really, really incredible work. Uh, so it's awesome to see him. And I love, I, I really like Ivan on this, but I think Ivan soars on the darkness yeah. in Venom. Yeah. Like, really, there's something completely messed up about this person who I've never met and yeah. I have no context for <laughs> Ivan Coelho as a person. I'm just going to say Ivan is a monster yeah. and fits in really well with <laughs> Twisted Donny Kate. Anyway, I've loved his work over there. So it's really cool to see him jump over to, you know, one of the most famed acclaimed comics 
in the history of the medium. And uh, it is really fun also to see him work with old Triple J here. Quick mustache talk here. Uh, There is a character who shows up in this issue, Chance. Mm. Not Chance the Rapper, but Chance, who was the... It was in issues like 298 and 299 of Amazing Spider-Man, big Todd McFarlane issues right before Venom came in and sort of blew the doors oh, off yeah. of everything. So really, it's an interesting story because it's like very the cameo issues for Eddie Brock as Venom. And I always remember them because Chance, he's in those. And he shows up here, got a sweet little mustache. Have you ever had a mustache? I have. Occasionally, I'll grow one on vacation. Just to kind of switch it up and so that I don't have to see anyone I like or care about Mm -hmm. with this nasty caterpillar on my face. Because I don't have great population density. Got it. You know what I mean? I wish I had the Selic. I wish I had like a, you know, style. What about a Triple J? Do you think you could rock the Chaplin Triple J (laughs) other person mustache? I would just look so dirty and weird. Like Like, already I'm scaring people off. Just like my stench and things like that. But like that would be a visual that I think would just be way too jarring. I I wish, I wish, I love mustaches. Like unironically. No, I know. Me too. That's why I've worn one for like the last five years. It's just like genuinely like it. I think we need to figure out a way to get you in a mustache (laughs) for a future video episode of Marvel's Pull List. Look, I was having an entire conversation about this yesterday. I'll fill you in later. Great. But, but, you know, you have your mustaches when you're on vacation. One place you do not want to go on vacation is Atlantis. Wow. Yeah. I'm getting in there on this segue action right. because we are talking about Atlantis Attacks, number one, written by Greg Pak, art by Ario Anandito, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by B.C. Joe Sabino. But this one here in Atlantis Attacks, it's got Namor, he's angry, it's got dragons, it's got big heroes, and big surprises. As a matter of fact, Greg happened to be in the office for a couple of little meetings, and uh, producer Jorge and I grabbed him and uh, jumped in. We had a little conversation about Atlantis Attacks, about the Agents of Atlas. I... Kept together because I am such a big Greg fan. I want um, to assure the listeners yeah, that Jorge is out of the corner shaking of my eye. his head no vehemently. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we sat down. We had a great talk about uh, everything going on in the book. So let's uh, let's hear a little bit from Greg right now. Hi there, Greg. Hi. Thank you so much for chatting. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, it. I'm so excited about Atlantis Attacks because... It's, it's a thing that happens maybe once a year, honestly, in Marvel Comics, in my opinion, where there's just something in the air about a character or a team or a book that just feels special. And that is the Agents of Atlas for uh-huh. me. Thank you. First of all, looking at the Agents of Atlas limited series uh, and then moving into Atlantis Attacks, did you feel like you got to know those characters better having written that series do you feel like you you understood them more yeah i mean it's also you know like the longer we've had time to spend with them the more we were able to kind of shift things a little bit you know set up some things and have things move in some unexpected ways i mean this whole agents fatless epic has been a huge amount of fun because it started off as i'd wanted to do another story with a bunch of asian american superheroes Mm -hmm. in the marvel universe i did one in the totally awesome hulk book where amadeus Cho teams up with Shang-Chi and a bunch of other Asian-American superheroes, and they they get Korean barbecue, and they do karaoke, and then they fight space aliens. You know, <laughs> it was just a ton of fun. And, I, you know, I wanted to kind of dig into that vibe again. And at the same time, 
Marvel had been working with overseas creators mm-hmm. uh, and and some other creators making Chinese superheroes based in Shanghai that were published as Chinese web comics. That's Arrow and Swordmaster. And then in the video game world, in the Marvel Future Fight game, they created a number of Korean superheroes from Korea. And I was like, okay, this is coming together as this kind of Pan-Asian superhero team, but we had no Southeast Asian representation. And I was like, we can't do that. We absolutely have to have that. And I just, I don't know. I just kind of was thinking about it. I was like, I have not seen any Filipino superheroes in a long time. And so we got in touch with Lanil Yu and Lanil is this amazing Filipino artist, one of the greatest Marvel artists of all time. And he did the character design and, and we co-created Wave, Pearl Pangan, who is uh, this kid from Cebu in, uh, in the Philippines who's got water-based powers. And, you know, and every time I create a character, you know, we hope folks will respond and, and dig it and be excited. But for the minute they announced Wave, the response was just astounding. I mean, within hours, people were favoriting and retweeting and sharing and papers in the Philippines were writing articles <laughs> and people were spreading rumors that different actors were going to play her in the movies. And <laughs> it was nuts. It was, it was, it just went through the roof, you know, I, you know, cause, cause the hunger was there. People are, you know, people want to see themselves. So it was this kind of great chance to get all of these characters together and to debut a bunch of characters for the first time in the comics. And they all drove each other crazy. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a, I mean, it was just a big kind of, huge superhero crossover book, um, you know, where they're fighting a big Thor villain who's trying to take over Asia. But it's also, you know, about the Asian diaspora, right? You know what I mean? And which is sort of, I think, something that anybody from any immigrant group can understand where you've got, you know, first, second, third generation Asian Americans and also folks from Asia, folks of different ages, generations, socioeconomic backgrounds. And so ostensibly, they're all sort of like on the same page. But they're also not on the same page in a lot of ways. And, and being able to play with all those points of, uh, of similarity and difference has been a huge amount of fun. Like, you know, Jimmy Woo kind of plays the older uncle who nobody really trusts, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Amadeus is the kind of reluctant leader, you know, who's sort of pushed into his leadership. He's a, you know, he's a cocky kid who thinks he knows everything, but of course he doesn't. And, and he's hurting cats because you've got all these different people who are, yeah. you know, have their own ideas about what should be done. And as we've gone along, we've had the chance to kind of develop different friendships and potential points of conflict with these different characters. And, uh, you know, Amadeus and Silk have gotten closer mm-hmm. over the course of the storyline. And we'll, you know, we'll see more about where that goes. In the Atlantis Attacks book, Wave is going to, we're going to learn a lot more about Wave or we're going to delve a lot more into Wave. She's got water powers. And in this book, Atlantis and these agents of Atlas are going to come into conflict. But Wave is going to have sort of uh, torn allegiances, possibly, you know, in the sense that she's going to visit Atlantis for the first time. And, you know, this is a person with water powers who's always been kind of like a fish out of water. So there's there's a lot of, you know, cool points of conflict there. Also, throughout the whole thing, we've been kind of hinting that Jimmy Wu, uh, who is the sort of secret agent who runs the Agents of Atlas team, that he has... Uh, ulterior motives. He's got some other plan going on. And yes, he does. Uh, but, but there's a lot of big turning points coming and major decisions. And the team that comes out at the end of this book is going to be different from the team that went in. And particularly with Amadeus. Amadeus is going to have a – it's a big life-changing story for Amadeus. Mm. So if you, if you care about Amadeus, Joe, you definitely want to pick this book up. I don't know how, but I'm 
even more excited for this book. <laughs> oh man. And it gets the heart, it gets to the heart of of what I think makes you one of my favorite writers. As oh. someone who reads every book every week, there's just incredible humanity in Greg Pak's stories. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh, big thanks to Greg. And you know what? This is my first pick of the week. Atlantis oh, yeah. Attacks number one. So good. And if you have not been reading the Agents of Atlas book, don't worry. You can totally just dive into this book cold like you would dive into the ocean Ooh. if you were uh, part of the Polar Bear Club. You know what else is cold? Outer Space. You know what book takes place in outer space? Not our next. Oh, both oh. of our next books. Oh, uh, yes. Including. This is true. This is true. There are parts of the next book that take place in outer space. The book being Black Panther, issue number 20. It is by Tanahasi Coates, Ryan Bodenheim, and Daniel Cunha, with colors on Bodenheim's pages by Michael Garland, our boy Daniel Cunha, of course. Oh, yeah. Doing, uh, what's that phrase? Tip to tail? Yeah, that tip, sounds right. Doing tip to tail, all the art, because, man, Daniel Cunha is a master, and lettering across the board by VCs Joe Sabino. I didn't realize I wanted a conversation with Shuri being sassy to the god Bast, <laughs> but that is what I wanted, yeah. and it delivered in spades here. It's really neat. We get her having this conversation. We get a little bit of flirty time between Shuri and Eden, who is Manifold. He's the big mm-hmm. teleporter, his former Avenger. He's one of you know, T'Challa's main crew. But my favorite part of this issue is T'Challa in the Jalia, which is the sort of, I don't want to call it the astral plane, but it's like the spirit plane. If you've seen Marvel Studios' Black Panther, you've seen an aspect of that represented there. Here it is T'Challa speaking to, you know, his predecessors, the other Black Panthers. These are the pages that Daniel does. It is gorgeous and wild. And then there's a sequence toward the, the end of that part of the story where T'Challa is talking to these other Black Panthers. And there's four-panel sequence where other Panthers say, remember what fear did to you, what rage drove you to, what despair made of you, what shame reduced you to. T'Challa, head down, like, grimace Mm -hmm. on his face. I remember it all. It's just so, it's so great. Man, I love this book. Yeah, when Ta-Nehisi hits those notes, man, they really hit. Really, really awesome. Look, don't want to get off the subject, but speaking of cold... Uh, it's a big issue for cold things. You could have been, uh, you know what else hits? Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is uh, Captain Marvel number 14, and it's my first pick of the week. It is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Lee Garbett, colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by VC's Clayton Cowles. Carol is in the midst of the clutches of Vox an awesome villain that Donny Cates introduced uh, during Death of the Inhumans. He is essentially compelling her to take out her fellow Avengers. She already took care of Thor. Then she went and took care of Tony Stark. Or so we thought, so to speak, we open up this issue inside the Singularity, which is a kind of it's a sentient kind of like... Singularity was a character from A-Force. She is this uber-powerful pocket universe creature. Oh, man, Singularity's great. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's, for me, so, so classic Marvel. And uh, to see the kind of lows that Kelly Thompson has brought this character to at times is for me, it's so inspiring. It's something that I've honestly been thinking a lot about recently. And like, I feel like I could write an essay about or like an op-ed or something about creators, you know, really testing their characters and, and making them do terrible things or putting them through terrible things it really as a testament to how much 
those creators love those characters and love these stories and love those things. It may be counterintuitively on a very, very, very surface level. But if you want to tell a great story, you have to have bad things happen. You have to test your characters. You have to have them come out the other side. It's something that Dan Slott has spoken about. And it's something that I think the ways that Kelly has tested Carol, even over the course of these 14 issues, whether it's her personal life, whether it's her duties as an Avenger, whether that is her relationships with other superheroes and how she handles those things. It has been a really, really amazing ride. So as we continue that here, we get more Black Panther action in this issue. And then there's a character that pops up right at the end that I just know. I haven't talked to Kelly about this, but I know that this is a character that Kelly will and has relished writing. So I cannot wait to see that upcoming. It's a really, really interesting storyline that we got going on here. Yeah. There is a moment inside Singularity in which Thor is getting fancy because he's got no snacks he's got no drinks he's got nothing to occupy his time it's just him and tony stuck in this limbo realm Mm -hmm. waiting uh and thor makes a mention of we do not even have the like the games of board or whatever he says now you are a very knowledgeable board game person you know many types of games you go to the board game uh the world board gaming championships that's right (laughs) uh so if you saw tony stark and Thor stuck alone inside a of Singularity, yeah. being bored. Yeah. What game would you suggest for them to play? Definitely a long one. Just a long game because they got plenty of time. They got nothing to do. Jump What's in, long jump to, out. To your estimation of okay, board games. Okay, well, here's yeah, no, the thing. Yeah. At like WBC, which is an annual. <laughs> which is the world. Board gaming championships. Great. It's, it's a more of a convention. There is like tournament stuff, but it's more of a convention. Um, but there, like there are these dudes who literally play like World War II strategy games that are, the board is like 12 feet long by like five feet wide. It's on like this giant plywood table with like lights set up over it. They move their pieces with like long tweezers. That's how like minute the moves are and like how small the positioning is. it matters. And they literally last for like five or six days. Uh, so maybe one of those. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine Thor loving that. Oh yeah, he'd get frustrated immediately and just destroy the entire thing. Oh man, and same I, with Tony. <laughs> now I want to watch that. I want to see. I want to see that oh, actualized. Yeah. Oh yeah. But what I don't need to worry about seeing actualized is the end of Conan Serpent War, nice. which is a really cool crossover event that we've been going on. So this is issue four of Conan Serpent War, written by Jim Zub, art by Iguara, as well as Vanessa Ardell Ray on certain pages, colors by Frank Darmada, as well as Jean Francois Bellou, uh going on and off in different pages, letters by VC's Travis Lanham, you know, Tucker. Mm-hmm. I thought that segue was pretty good. Oh, yeah. And I think we've been going back and forth. I will tell you that uh, producer Jorge passed me a note to make this a competition. He's trying to pit us against each other wow. to see who could have the most successful segues. And I say thee nay, Jorge. Yes. We will not battle. Yes. We are in this together. Yeah, we're going to unite and go against you, in fact. You yeah. try to split us apart. No. Overthrow the worm that you are, just right. like the worm in Conan Serpent War, a wow. vile, large, slithering white creature <laughs> that is trying to destroy the beauty that is Set the Serpent God, who is also just terrible. You get two <laughs> awful, nasty, slithery things against each other with Conan and Dark Agnes and Solomon Kane and Moon Knight all against each other. There's a lot of cool stuff happening here. The worm, again, grossest all get out. Interestingly and importantly, 
the last couple pages of this issue set up some new paradigms for Moon Knight going forward. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah, there is a really interesting spirit to Conan Serpent War, which I actually found to be in common in a, in a unique way with Excalibur number six. That's for real, because there is this kind of like fantasy journey, almost like, I don't want to say like dungeon crawly, but you know, on a much bigger, more fantastic scale than that might connote going on here. Um, but it's something I really, really love. Also just got a note from producer Jorge who says, by the way, the score is four to one, Ryan. I'm not going to pay wow. attention to this. That I he, That's impossible. We've not had that many He's things. trying to test me and I refuse to let it get to me. No way, no how. Everything going on in Excalibur does get to me in a good way because we are on a really, really interesting journey. And I, I love the ways that the new rules of the world of the mutants, everything going on with Krakoa, everything going on, the kind of the world that we know and live in with the X-Men, how that has not only presented new status quos across the board in so many different ways, but it's also opened up pathways for like new exploration and a new kind of story like the story going on in Excalibur, where this team is on an epic journey and with that, how that action relates to everything that has been established in, you know, the, the world of Krakoa and everything like that, how uh, the swirling, constantly uh, simmering or bubbling, I'm always questioning the allegiances and true kind of intent of a character like Apocalypse who features very, very heavily in this story. Who's walking with a cane. Yes. And I feel like that is that he's just putting putting that on. It's I know. just like, oh I'm oh so <laughs> feeble. Would you would you please spare a seat for your friend? <laughs> However you pronounce yeah, his yeah, new yeah, Krakoan yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, please let me just sit. I'm oh so weary. Yeah. That's the thing. It's so interesting where because who knows, things might be going on that are truly self-evident. And then there are other things where you maybe we're trying to outsmart the story, but you know, a writer as good as Teeny knows that and is using that against us. Who knows? It is all so fascinating. It's all built into the layers of this. And speaking of Teeny, by the way, she's, of course, the writer. The art on this book is taken care of by Marcus Toe. The colors are by Eric Arciniega and the letters are by VC's Corey Pettit. So we have all the action going on in Avalon, and then we have, oh man, do we have some action going on between Rogue and Gambit? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. So I think I think I saw a Twitter conversation between uh, Kelly Thompson and Teeny. Kelly, of course, the writer of Mr. and Mrs. X, and, I, and it was just a conversation where Kelly was talking about how much she loves the work that Teeny is doing with Rogue and Gambit, and it is steamy. It is so real. It's so, it's just a perfect kind of narrative break in a way because you have crazy action going on here. And then you have this, you know, beautiful, intimate scene that is something completely different that is continuing to build out the spirit of what this book is. Crazy, awesome Captain Britain stuff going on in here and twists and turns that I am very curious about, very excited by. And uh, yeah, it's just more strength to strength from this entire creative team. There's also, uh, you mentioned the Captain's Britain. We had this week in Marvel, episode 428, a discussion about the Marvel multiverse, which does tie in a little bit about this. So if you are reading 
Excalibur this week and you're like, what does he mean, Captain's Britain? What is he talking about with Roma and Merlin and stuff? We get into a little bit of that in that episode of This Week in Marvel as we talk about the Marvel multiverse. So hopefully, if you have some questions, we can provide some answers, but we shall see. Someone who is also providing answers this week is the Overseer. Not Ooh. just him, though. Also, you've got Reed Richards providing answers and digging up questions and just causing all kinds of chaos in Fantastic Four issue number 18, written by Dan Slott, with art by Paco Medina, Francesco Mana, and Carlos Magno, with colors by Eric Arciniega and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I love Carlos Magno. Now that Invaders is over, you know, seeing his art flood into more places, I think Carlos is going to wow the heck out of people. We also, speaking of this week at Marvel, as I did just a minute ago, we had Dan Slott on the show last week, episode 429, I believe, where he does talk about Fantastic Four a bit, as well as a bunch of other stuff. So we can dig into a lot of that therein. The the, the story here is following up. I think this is the fifth part of this uh, you know story about the origins of the Fantastic Four. It ties into this world called Aspire, all that stuff. We've talked about it a bunch. Tucker, I want to ask you, if you were a, a denizen of the Spire, of this realm, and you went through this process that they were trying to create superheroes to save their planet. Would you be part of their Avengers-esque unparalleled? Or would you be a monster in the dregs of Lowtown? My instinct is to say Lowtown. But I feel like I'm too scared to do that. And to kind of be you know, among that crowd. But then I'm also too scared to have the responsibility of the unparalleled. I don't know. Maybe I'd just like, I'd just like try and be Johnny Storm's like new girlfriend or something. I think you'd do well. Thank you. Yeah, you're good arm candy. I'm just like, you know, sweeten him up and like hope he'll take me somewhere else. Fair enough. What would you do? Uh, I'd be on the unparalleled for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'd be like the only one with a mustache and it would be like the <laughs> sacred object that was only grown out of my face and everybody would, would just behold it and uh, yeah. in all its glory. That for some weird reason... The weirdness of the sentence you just said reminded me of remind remind it was like must have been when we were doing Marvel 80 stuff and it was like an issue maybe in the 50s or no the 70s maybe wasn't there some golden man who like came from another planet and was like yada yada golden man and then there was some team in some book who was like no you're actually bad but he was actually there to help but then he like got annoyed at the team and was like, you know what? Fine. And I'm going to be destructive. <laughs> I have I, any I, vague idea of what yes, I'm talking about. Uh, the vagaries are there. And it's like, it's like from Jupiter or something. Teasing at the corners of my mind. But it's, it's fluttering away as quickly anyway, as you say it. Another way of saying congratulations on that 1970s level weird sci-fi uh, story building. Thank Love you. it. I appreciate it. 1970s level weird sci-fi storytelling, certainly sci-fi storytelling, appears in Guardians of the Galaxy number one, which is written by Al Ewing with art by Juan Cabal. Whoa. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. With colors by Federico Blee and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. And man alive. <laughs> this is my second pick of the week. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Juan Cabal, we've been singing his praises on Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, mm -hmm. on All New Wolverine, on any place that Juan's work has shown up. And this, I, th I feel like, is the biggest 
profile book now for Juan to get in front of the most people. And I think everybody's going to be wow. There is a double page spread in this issue that is dozens of panels and it is yeah. two pages side by side, but coming out of like a focal point in the center with body parts and di- like it's just, I think it feels like Al writing to Juan in a way that that would not have existed had Juan not been the artist and and they have this great synergy. I completely agree. That's exactly what I thought because I feel like there were touches of that exact kind of thing like in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which yeah. was just like these really interesting, really just super creative and really different kind of panel structures and things like that where it's just super detailed and you can just dive into it in such an interesting way. Um, you know, in like almost a Javier Rodriguez like kind of history of the Marvel Universe yeah, fashion. Totally. Um, but oh man, it is so, so, so good. And it's so perfect for this book. Yeah. I love this creative team together. There's a lot going on in this issue. Yeah. This is another one where you could dive right in, not having read the previous run of anything, and your everything is built for you. But if you are like reading a bunch of Marvel comics, or if you're in Marvel Unlimited and you're catching up on books at any given time, there's a lot of cool ties. This connects to Avengers No Road Home, because in Avengers No Road Home, it was the death of the Olympians right at the beginning of that storyline. Of course, the recent Guardians run with changes to Drax and to Rocket, getting Peter and Gamora together, adding new team members like Philavel and Moondragon. Then you also tie into the recent Annihilation Scourge mini-event, which was fantastic, where Rich Rider had to stop the cancerverse from making its way into the Marvel universe and Al Ewing writes some really great rich writer in here yeah. you know like seeing how vulnerable he is I think is beautifully done uh, and on top of that we've got the rebirth of Olympus like the gods of Olympus in here and really cool designs and they are terrifying they're really powerful really cool big high stakes sci-fi that you mentioned uh, it is it feels very much like a Guardians of the Galaxy book, yeah. but not playing the same notes that yes. the other Guardians of the Galaxy books play. Yes. It is taking the team in new dynamics and new directions while still making it feel exactly as what you want it to be, which is so difficult. Like, yeah. You know, like yeah. to try to like do something new, but also make it feel home is wonderful. It's a crazy balancing act. There's another thing that I'm finding is a kind of Al Ewing signature, which is he titles issues in an interesting way. That is like a hallmark of... Immortal Hulk, for sure, where, like, the title is kind of revealed on the last page. I'm seeing, at least here, when you get to the kind of credits slash title page in this issue, it says one, colon, as in first issue, and then the quote, which is the name of the issue, which is the quote that was previously said before you go into that title page. I don't want to say what it is, but I just love those little things. Yeah. I love those kind of little choices. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, other little choices I love are like what we see in all of the X-Men books right now, oh, yeah. including our next book, which is Marauders number six. This one is titled Pay Your Dues. This is written, of course, by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Loli and Mario Del Panino with colors by Eric Arseniega and Federico Blee, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Man, this book is just like... Strap in, you get your popcorn, you get ready for whatever ride we're going to get this issue. In this one, it is the Marauders crew of Kate Pride and Storm, Pyro, Bishop, the like they, uh, Iceman, they are going up against the Hatemonger and Executioner, which are two characters I don't remember ever seeing together. Executioner 
first appeared in, I remember this very vividly because it was this issue that I loved as a kid. It was on Kenny X-Men annual number 17 from 1993 because it had Jason Pearson on art. Hmm. Jason Pearson does not do a lot of art these days for Marvel. Like he doesn't have a huge breadth of work for Marvel. He did uh, a, a bunch of other indie books and became really popular in the early 90s. But this book had such life to it. And it's this dude who has all these different weapons and, and, a, and like abilities to try to stop mutants. At one point he takes his like staff and he slices open Colossus and it terrified me as a kid. So this guy has this in my brain, this horrifying nightmare potential villainy alongside hate monger. Versions of hate monger are the clones of Adolf Hitler bred to just destroy other races. There is no worse evil yes. that I can think of. And I love that Jerry takes that and he just makes Kate Pride so angry at hate monger and so just like pissed off that she's fighting another friggin' guy in a hood. And I love it so much. This book is terrific. Wild stuff happens. Oh, I will yeah. not talk about the things that happen in this issue yeah. at all. But man, this is a what the hell? Like, yeah. You don't know where it's this book is going to go. one of those things where like Charles like getting shot in X-Force yeah. level, like, wait, we're doing this? This yeah. is happening. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is happening. Wow. Yeah. Like, if, if you are up on the dawn of X, this is a book you have to read. <laughs> yeah. And I love it when things happen in comics. Uh, other things that happen much like that. <laughs> it's going to be a long year of those transitions. Things are happening in Ruins of Ravencroft. Dracula, number one. This book is written by Frank Thierry with art in the modern day setting here by Angel Unzueta. Art in flashback by Stefano Landini. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And letters by VC's Travis Lanham. I really, really, really liked this issue a lot. Which is why it is my second pick of the week. It's kind of set up because I love John Jameson. I'm a huge fan of the man wolf and i think a lot of that is down to the name john jameson which i just think is a great name uh it has like a western feel to me which is something i love but not just that not just this really interesting very unique kind of uh uh crew that's put together including iron fist luke cage Sam Wilson, Misty Knight, Reed Richards alongside John Jameson on this mission together as we then delve into the past of Ravencroft, which is so cool. I think it's done so, so well. And for me, it kind of ends up being this really interesting, like kind of kaleidoscope of different events, certainly, but almost genres in a way. There's like horror aspects to it. There's like really interesting kind of like adventure tone to it at times there is obviously like more fantasy elements of it and then what was really cool as I, as all that's happening we get cap in this flashback story which for me is so cool and it felt like a really interesting like breath of fresh air in the middle of this book because cap obviously carries such a unique energy and this is old school cap that we're having here it was just a, a really, really interesting mix of things. You know, when we have Dracula, I don't think you automatically think of Captain America being like a main feature in that kind of story. So that juxtaposition is so interesting to me. I love the world building that's going on. I love the mythologizing that is being built up more and more and more around Ravencroft. I think it's really awesome. And I think obviously Frank Thierry is the perfect person to do it because um, 
uh, when, uh, you know, I think when Frank decides to go dark, he he does not hold back. So this is kind of the perfect uh, setting for him as we move towards Ravencroft number one, which will be out next week. But yeah, it is a really, really cool mixture of a bunch of different things in this uh, issue that I am uh, just a big fan of across the board. Yeah, so Ravencroft is this prison slash asylum for the criminally insane, and there's a really cool two-page spread in here. And so uh, our producers reached out to Danny Kazem and Devin Lewis, the editors on the book, because I... You guys, I think we put out a preview with these pages, so they're floating on the internet. But if not, and you read this book, and you're like, who are these characters? This spread has Snatcher, Pandamania, Hippo, Fool Killer, Manbull, Gale, Mr. Hyde, Will O' the Wisp, Doppelganger Freak, Conundrum, and Bushman. It is the wildest ensemble. Gale? You said Gale? Yeah. It's just Gale. Gale. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know that character. Uh, I will get deep into Will of the Wisp if we need yeah. to, because that's exciting that's to me. That's awesome. Uh, that is a very much, though, as you mentioned, a horror book, just like our final issue of the week, which is Web of Venom, The Good Son, written by Zach Thompson, with pencils by Dio Neves, with inks by Oren Jr., colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one has got uh, little Normie Osborne being a super creep yep. next to Dylan Brock, who's also being a super creep. Kids are terrifying. <laughs> like anytime I see a story now where it's like a child being bad, yeah. I'm like, oh no, how do I prevent this from happening to my, <laughs> how do I prevent my daughter from getting a bit of the carnage symbiote and turning into a monster or having a grandfather who is Norman Osborn? How do I stop that from happening to my child? These are the thoughts that go through my head when yep. I read issues like this. Uh, <laughs> This also has a backup story featuring Sleeper, the awesome uh, symbiote who is now uh, portraying itself as a cat to watch over Dylan Brock. But in here, you get a, a cool story of Sleeper doing nasty stuff. It is written, again, by Zach Thompson with art by Juan Gideon, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Those are the new comics out this week. Oh, yeah. So much good stuff out there in individual issues and so much good stuff in collection, including Agents of Atlas, The Complete Collection, Volume 2, Captain America, Sam Wilson, The Complete Collection, Volume 1, Invisible Woman, Ironheart, Volume 2, Ten Rings, Punisher, Kill Crew. I put a little couple stars next oh, to that yeah. one because that's a... Uh, an Agent M pick right there for their collections. That's a good one. Jerry Duggan, Juan Ferreira. Woo! Crushing. Um, then we also have Star Wars Legends Forever Crimson, Valkyrie Jane Foster Volume 1, The Sacred and the Profane. Another one. You got to read it. Oh, got to yeah. read it. Uh, X-Men Milestones Onslaught and Ecstatics The Complete Collection Volume 1. Also, would highly suggest that one. It's real weird. It's The All Reds aren't art and Pete Milligan doing some Banana stuff with uh, <laughs> superheroes, deconstructing them to all get out. On Marvel Unlimited, tons of books out this week. The first issue of the most recent Loki series is in there, so you can check that out. A bunch of other issues from the recent stuff. The classics added to Marvel Unlimited, Daredevil issues 144 through 157. I've heard a lot of nice. fans asking for us to fill in gaps of Daredevil, so this is a big chunk. Uh, these issues mostly written by Jim Shooter and Roger McKenzie. I think Joe Duffy does one. Art by Carmine Infantino, Gene Colan, and many others. Marvel premiere number 43, which has a paladin story by Don McGregor. So, mm. you know, you want to read that. Don McGregor is amazing. Uh, art by Tom Sutton. Uh, very important. 
Obnoxio the Clown, number one by Alan Kupperberg. It's the first appearance of Obnoxio, who would go on to have a wonderful career in the pages of Crazy and many uh, others. Obnoxio uh, is disgusting. And I'm so glad this is now on Marvel Unlimited. That nearly wraps it up for this episode. Uh, but this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Jorge Estrada with help from MR Daniel. Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And... Mr. Brad Barton, he's a charming mortal board game, but he's in our dimension, and we're never going to get rid of him, unless we decide to. Well, I don't, how do you play a Brad Borden? Brad, 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 be great at, at your job here at Marvel. Oh, so come Brad, on. Brad is also Dad, the game. Dad, Brad. Love it. Uh, I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.